0: A lot of people are going to find it very unaffordable to get into the market whatsoever, particularly when it comes to buying a property to live in. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show, a code cracker, and i tell you what, I am doing this, why the gospodar is in full flight. I need to do this because I've got other things on today. I want to crack out a cracking episode, and I can't understand why this man decides to whip a whole lawn. Why not use a lawnmower and get it done in a faster rate of time i can never work it out what is the obsession with leaf blowers and whippersnippers he is doing my freaking head in but i tell you what what's doing australia's head in at the moment is the affordability crisis when it comes to the australian property market we are today the second most unaffordable place in planet earth to buy a property so what does it actually mean for the property market what are we going to see into the future in fact a recent parliamentary report has come out labeling some of the ideas around the ability to create affordability into the marketplace we're going to have a look at it we're going to dig into what bureaucrats and politicians think should happen for the real estate market to actually become more affordable for the Australian people. Does that sound riveting? I hope so. Uh, in fact, I think studying some of the ideas which are floating around by policy is a big way to work out how to invest. After all, these are the incredible geniuses that led us to things like the global financial crisis so we need to understand what these morons are up to so we can be a contrarian when it comes to investing so today's show housing affordability the big parliamentary inquiry what the parliament is considering on doing when it comes to creating affordability so we can run the other way if it's your first time tuning into the Urban Property Investor. Welcome aboard. Uh, We are a mad bunch here and we always listen to the episode in double speed so you can get your life back. And of course, just remember, you can go to other podcasts. They're all lessons on real estate in one way, shape or form. But I think all of us have been touched by certainly the property boom over the last two years. Whether you've made a bucket load of money, whether you've made a bucket load of equity, whether you've cashed in and traded up one of your assets and moved to a new community to live debt-free, or you're on the other side of the wagon, you made no money, you've fallen behind the rat race. Houses just seem even more and more expensive than they have ever seen before and or you're potentially even scared of being kicked out of your rental property and living on the street that is where we find ourselves in australia today australia is very much a have and have not society and the parliamentary report which has been commissioned to work out well what do we do with providing more properties to the Australian community, how do we do that at an affordable rate, um, has come along. So I think we need to go through the report and have a laugh at some of the stuff, but also potentially use some of the potential policies to make good decisions. Now, a parliamentary report is just that. It's just simply a report. Um, It is given to members of parliament, and then they can potentially lobby some ideas, perhaps turn some things into government policy. Uh, however, I think it's fair to say that off the back of the recent inflation of real estate, that a lot of people are now out in the cold. That That's the truth of the Australian property market. A lot of people are going to find it very unaffordable to get into the market whatsoever particularly when it comes to buying a property to live in of course when you buy a property to live in you can't take into consideration rental returns you may have some dependents like kids and of course the great hunt for an affordable property to live in has sent people all over australia we've seen the regional communities expand handsomely off the back of people fun uh, 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 hunting affordable properties. And I always say this, you know, the greatest demand gap or supply gap in the marketplace is something affordable and livable. Once you find those suburbs, and I constantly are looking for these suburbs, you find gold because the... Opportunity for people to buy something at an affordable price point but live in a highly livable area is what all Australians really want. And of course, a lot of Aussies have fled to weirdo Gopnik villages and run into problems immediately. I know of stories in the Gold Coast of people coming from Sydney to live in the Gold Coast and they've chosen the worst places to possibly live inside the Gold Coast, they're getting bitten by midges. Uh, I've seen people move to North, northern New South Wales and have gut-wrenching results of literally buying a home and next minute it's underwater um, and hit by floods. I've seen uh, the same with people moving to places like Port Macquarie. Everyone is trying to find this thing called affordability yet livability and it is a very very hard thing to do particularly off the back of recent price increases so where does that leave the average australian person just wanting to have a family settle down and live the great australian dream is the great australian dream actually running out and are being are people being pushed into the wrong asset classes the wrong locations just to deal with this thing called affordability? Well, I think we know the answer. The answer, of course, is yes. Many people are buying the wrong properties, the wrong assets in the wrong locations to fill the void of things being unaffordable. And I think this all comes back to the idea of the best thing most people can do today is buy better assets by being a property investor. The fact that you can consider your rental returns as a property investor, absolutely allows you to buy a better property than quite often a homeowner. And that may mean you rent a lifestyle for a period of time, but the way to become wealthy out of real estate is to control the best assets into the marketplace. But I tell you what, let's go through the 16 recommendations by the Parliamentary Inquiry, As to create affordability in australia let's do it let's see what the geniuses have to offer first recommendation is to accelerate density and again density done right is a good outcome but in australia density done wrong which is more common hasn't worked out to be a great outcome and it is fair to say australian cities are actually not dense whatsoever we sometimes think they're dense but go to Tokyo go to Shanghai I mean if you ever get the experience in your life to go to uh, perhaps say Tokyo go up to one of the high floor buildings that are in the city uh, perhaps one of the high floor hotels and just gaze out to Mount Fuji and look at just how much density there is. Uh, our urban land masses are not dense by world standards Tokyo, Shanghai, London, New York. So, of course, our real estate is going to be expensive because we typically live in bigger properties here in Australia. And of course, I don't think we've seen anything yet. So, one of the initiatives by the parliamentary report is to encourage density, right? To encourage more stock to come to market, to infill areas which have uh, not enough stock in them. In other words, uh, perhaps they're fixed locations right now. Let's unfix them. Let's put more stock into them to provide more real estate to the market, So the first recommendation is to create more supply, right? And of course, uh, supply in itself is a very, very difficult thing to quite often provide because supply comes at a cost. Supply is not cheap. Uh, To build new things is is not a cheap exercise. So where the report refines the conversation, it recommends that the Australian government – or taxpayers, if you like, provide more incentives to state governments or local governments to encourage, basically, better planning and better administration policies. So what it's basically saying is if the federal government forks out and more or less uh, pays for... The state government to do their thing, we will see off the back of that more stock being created because more policies will unfold when it comes to density. Now, density done right is a good thing. And again, some of the policy and decision making around Australia to create more stock is inept. It's, it's, It doesn't work. Like there is so much bureaucracy behind the idea of uh, creating density that it's a very, very difficult thing to do. So do I think this policy is going to work? No, I think this policy or recommendation is going to fail. Uh, However, understanding that we can be a contrarian off the back of the information that government basically wants to create more stock, it's pretty simple. We know what to do. Let's buy the best stock, the flight to quality. We know land value is always something that is going to be worth something despite density. In fact, density can increase land values. And if we are going to enter into the apartment space, knowing that the recommendation is to take a city like Sydney and turn it into Tokyo then we want the best architectural properties in the marketplace. We want the best boutique properties to beat density in the marketplace. We want the best locations. We want the best dwelling type and the best land type. It's as simple as that. So first recommendation, uh, obviously, if you provide more stock, it's a given that generally extra stock – impacts the real estate market. And I'll come back and do some conversations around how supply and demand actually works in Australia. The next recommendation, if you like, is that the Australian government actually step in and do far more work when it comes to infrastructure spending. So again, what typically can happen for state governments is... Migration is really a federal government dynamic. Uh, Federal government sets the policy of migration and the state governments are quite often left carrying the bag of not having infrastructure that actually keeps up with the population footprint. So the recommendation is that the Australian government foot the bill, taxpayers pay up, We want more infrastructure. If we can get more infrastructure, we can get the density right. So, the first recommendation is to create density. The second recommendation is if you are going to create density, make sure you've got world class infrastructure. So, here's the challenge, folks. Like, do you guys, can you guys go to your local, uh, you know, Train station in your city, your central station, and go get on a fast train today and zoom out to um, your area where you live. The answer is no. Here's what you can do in Shanghai you can live 50 kilometers, 50 kilometers from the central business district in Shanghai. You can get a fast train and within seven minutes travel 50 kilometers. So, of course, mobility and infrastructure lead to the ability for people to find affordability. However, you need incredible infrastructure today to deliver that. And again, unless Australia really wants to spend up big, I don't see this policy, albeit a great recommendation, working because – Again, if you want people to go and live 100 kilometres from Sydney and perhaps build a house or, you know, buy an established property for five six $600,000, then uh, you're going to have to provide infrastructure that works, not just infrastructure. And again, some of these kind of fast rail ideas uh, are great, but we never seem to do them because of the bill and because of the daily use to pay for those projects the train ticket has to be very very expensive and and really where some of the other modern economies around the world have things like fast train in tokyo i mean you can live in kyoto and work in tokyo it's not out of the realm of possibility it's an hour and a half or whatever it is on the, sh- on the fast train. But you, you are literally traveling 600 kilometers an hour. Again, in, in Shanghai, you can live near the airport, which is 50 kilometers from the city center. And within six or seven minutes, you're literally in the middle of the city. Now, think about the urban edge areas you know of. Perhaps you're from Brisbane and you're thinking, well, where's the urban edge of Brisbane? You know, it could be out past Ipswich towards Toowoomba. How long does it take to get from Toowoomba to Brisbane? Uh, Imagine you could do that in 15 minutes. Well, that's the infrastructure you need to create affordability, right? That's the infrastructure you need. Uh, perhaps you're, you're listening, I don't know, from uh, from Melbourne and you know pockets of Melbourne. I know Melbourne is thinking about trying to do something quite fast, if you like, from Geelong to Melbourne proper. And it's not a fast rail, but it's kind of like a, a medium express system. Um, again, you know, if you want people to to do density or distance, and when we talk about density, we're not only talking about infield density, we're talking about urban edge density. If you want people to do distance, then you've you've got to provide them infrastructure. And the problem, of course, is how to go about providing that infrastructure. Around the world, people have dealt with this problem. In Australia, we have not dealt with this problem issue what we've done in australia is support the road system and support the airline system and both systems are are fundamentally under a lot of pressure to move australians around yes uh, the work from home the zoom boom has helped certainly spread people about but if anything it has also created an affordability issue in some areas which were perhaps off the radar. And so when it comes to what happens next, we got a big conversation. Now, I'm going to pull out my book that I wrote in 2016. I think I wrote this book. It's called The Future of Property Investing in Australia. I'm going to go to page, from memory, I think page 119 tell me that's the right page no it is not the right page isn't that uh isn't that helpful to a podcast um here we go page 139 now when this book was written sydney had 202 suburbs so this book goes back to 2016 17 i think i wrote it in 16 but it kind of got published in 17 In 2017, Sydney had 202 suburbs, 20 of which were priced below $500,000. So uh, today, there are zero suburbs priced under $500,000. Adelaide has 91 suburbs, of which 29 were priced below $500,000, equaling 30% of the market. It would be interesting to know how many suburbs in Adelaide today are under $500,000. Melbourne, 237 suburbs back then. Here's the book for those people watching. Uh, 53 suburbs were priced below $500,000, equating to 22% of the property market. I don't think I can find a property in Melbourne under $500,000 in the housing market. I, I don't think it's possible. Uh, it's probably diminished from 22% to, I don't know, 10% or something, 5%. Brisbane, 173 suburbs. Uh, it actually was the most affordable market back then. And uh, one of the reasons, you know, certainly I've been working in, in helping people acquire assets in Brisbane for so long is that it has been one of the affordability uh, marketplaces to buy something and get yourself a bit of a bargain. So 173 suburbs, 73 of the 173 suburbs priced below 500000 equating to 42% of the market in 2016-17. Today, I don't think you could find much in Brisbane sub $500,000 unless you travel a large distance from the main infrastructure and efficiency of the city. So what people are being asked to do is to go to areas where there is no infrastructure. And of course, this is the recommendation for the parliament, for the government, for the powers that be to get on with providing some world-class infrastructure if you want density done right. Density swap... For infrastructure that is that is basically what the conversation is let's do the clean spot spot Um, let's let's make this happen right if we want affordability we need to do that so the third recommendation was basically do first homeowner grants all the time like grant the shit out of this thing right give millennials give gen y give gen z money uh basically make it virtually uh easy to just go and get a home loan and again uh i think off the back of what we have seen with the building boost recently uh with the federal government home builder boost just how many people do not have money in australia because So many people went, wow, all of a sudden I can, with these grants, get $50,000, $60,000 worth of help. I'm going to buy a house. And, of course, what that has done, the adverse effect of that, is it absorbed land, it's pushed land prices up, and builders are run uh, off the charts at the moment with work. And, of course, it's pushed uh, build prices up as well. So... The adverse effect of all these grants is the amount of people that fundamentally jump into the housing market. However, if a lot of people jump into the housing market, there is potentially less people being renters. And of course, this does provide affordability of rents. And again, the recommendation, if you like, is to just grant the living hell out of this thing because people's do not have the ability to save a deposit to save a deposit is like a 10 year exercise so again like if it's a 10 year exercise then by the time 10 years has passed the real estate market just continues to be uh less affordable particularly for the home buyer marketplace. But there's some lessons in this, of course, if you're basically going to provide government grants for people to buy properties, uh, quite often those properties are earmarked around new communities. So if you are going to buy in a new community, you need to understand that everyone is starting a mortgage. There is basically high levels of debt. So, the lesson here in real estate is there are old money markets and new money markets. Old money markets, of course, are markets where there has been real estate there for many, many moons, perhaps 100 years, 150 years, uh, 50 years. Like that is long enough for the market to extinguish debt. So, what you find in established neighborhoods is a mixture of new loans debt-free properties, and properties whereby the occupants are paying off the mortgage. What you find in newer communities is newer communities. Basically, everyone is starting a mortgage on the same day. Now, the caveat, obviously, is a property investor because property investors are also getting the affordability squeeze. They are also being chased out of town, if you like. The caveat if you are going to a new vibrant community is do it well. Density done right makes people money. Uh, the right area or location within an urban edge area is going to make money. The wrong location, though, can set you back for a very, very long time. This is where you need to get niche. You need to get very granular. You need to understand the right side of the track and the wrong side of the track when it comes to the idea of new money marketplaces. And, of course, uh, if you go around any city, all cities have new money suburbs, new suburbs where new housing is being created. Are they all bad? No. No. But uh, you need to be very vigilant on how you buy in those marketplaces and use the right property strategies, whether that's to be like in an early stage of investment or to buy in the best and largest lots being created or whether that's to buy next to the lake, the fake lake that's being created Whatever that means is you've got to use the same principles. Best location, best land, and best design equals growth in those marketplaces. But we're going to know there's going to be a lot more uh, first home buyers if this policy was to take place. And obviously, it's, again, federal government, just give the state governments a shitload of money and uh, print the money if you have to right print it get it into the economy this is what the policy conversation is just get it moving and you will obviously provide more housing more housing equals a affordability dynamic the next policy or recommendation if you like uh well actually recommendation four and five is to more or less do an inquiry on homelessness because This inquiry, the affordability inquiry, uh, identified that a lot of Australians are now becoming homeless and that the problem is so bad that the parliamentary people should actually have another inquiry, an inquiry for an inquiry. So uh, it's a real thing, right? I follow a guy on Instagram. He's a pretty cool dude. He lives in his car. He's homeless. Uh, he is a school teacher. He has a normal job. He's not a vagrant. He is homeless. Uh, I met some Gopniks yesterday that have a Gopnik dog like my Gopnik dog, Raffy the Gopnik dog. And they were down at Collaroy sleeping in their car. Um, they were rather vagrant. They had no teeth. Their Gopnik dog was like my Gopnik dog, an ugly looking mini bull terrier. Uh, however, not everyone who is homeless is a Gopnik who has a Gopnik dog. In fact, the chap I follow on Instagram, he's just, a, you know, a school teacher. He teaches high school, um, you know, where the school is. He can't afford to pay the rent to live close enough to the school, but... Obviously, if you are a school teacher, you quite often have to get to school, you know, quite early. Um, there is not enough infrastructure to get the chap to school, uh, so he lives in his car, right? And uh, he documents his, his his experience by living in his car. Homelessness is a real thing, and uh, I was actually talking to a friend of mine about the person, the school teacher that lives in in. A car um, and quite often like my friends will talk to me about wealth and they're very standoffish because they know I know a lot about creating wealth and I think uh, you know they I, they kind of don't want me to tell them what to do but they pry me for, for questions sometimes and you know this friend of mine was talking to me about like the idea that you know she's now almost 40, she's not married, she doesn't have any assets and she's starting to get worried. And and I was talking about her unrelatedly about the chap that lives in his car and I could see the fear in her eyes because what is happening right now, we have a rental crisis. Like rents are going to skyrocket in Australia because stock is not being created quickly enough. And of course, this is also equally... A big affordability problem for the marketplace is for the next couple of years, rents are going to be very, very expensive. And for someone on a medium level wage, they can't necessarily keep up with where they go to work. Like where they go to work and the social status of where that work is does not relate to what they do. They work in the services industry. They serve the community through the services industry remember the east coast of australia is a services community like most people work doing some sort of service or trade to to the fire economy the fire economy finance real estate and insurance where is the big money inside of society finance real estate and insurance banking investment bankers make a shitload of money well, uh, the the idea of companies listed on the ASX top two hundred make a shitload of money. Insurance money, real estate, REITs make a lot of money, right? And so you've got this kind of fire engine, if you like. And again, like uh, the the person who does a real job, like a school teacher, actually doing something good for society, not making a lot of money, right? And certainly, I could see the fear in the eyes of my friend when I was talking about, like, you know, rents are going to go up and, you know, are you, are you ready, right? Like, and, you know, I could see in her mind, fuck, am I going to end up living in my car? I, You know, I don't even have a good car. I've got, a, you know, a little brainer. I mean, how do you live in a brainer? I can understand living in the van, but how do you live in the brainer? Uh, recommendation six and recommendation 12... I don't know why they're far apart, but they they are on the recommendations, is get on with Build to Rent. And again, I mean, you guys have probably heard me talk about Build to Rent. It is a thing. Uh, It's a thing around the globe. Fundamentally, the middle class gets split in two. Those with assets see the results of those assets increasing, create wealth. Those without assets can't keep up by virtue of their wage, to get into the asset marketplace. Uh, If they can't do it when interest rates are basically worthless, how are they going to do it when interest rates are more and more more expensive? So the government realises this problem. Obviously, rents are also spiraling out of control. So the committee recommends the Australian government should really crack on and facilitate more benefits for the private sector, the fire economy, to deliver discounted rents to the market through affordable housing, through what is known as build to rent. So uh, again, uh, and I teach this a lot when it comes to understanding real estate, there is a difference between property and real estate. Real estate is the... The title, the land, the way the land is used. Property is just the dwelling that sits on the land. Uh, Into the future, there will be less real estate. In other words, less home ownership, less private investors that own real estate, real property that they control. And there will be more property created whereby the ownership is owned by large players in the marketplace. I'm talking owned by superannuation funds. I'm talking build-to-rent will be created by AMP Super. Build-to-rent will be created by Fraser's Property Group. Build-to-rent will be owned and operated by Mervac. These companies will run the rental marketplace. And so knowing this is the future because of the affordability issues and it's already happening all over the world it's very much early days here in australia but it's the thing that's going to happen sovereign pension funds are funding build to rent they don't need a 10 percent return on their money because these are uh, funds where there is no debt uh, the singaporean pension fund is a big fund investing in build to rent in australia today they need a 3 4% return, which you can get from residential property. So they're all cool. Uh, but what you are seeing is the type of properties being produced, uh, almost like little bedsits and studios. And, you know, if anything, really, uh, you know, you are now seeing almost like this encouragement of this. Like this is what it's come to. Let's just give someone some co-living opportunities to be able to afford to live inside of our cities and i always explain it you know like think about it right you've got the investment banker he goes to the office or whatever in the cbd he needs some lunch he goes down and sees the sandwich hand the sandwich hand makes the lunch uh they're both going to the same place though at the same point of time on the same day they are either coming from uh they're coming from two different worlds these people but intersecting right the reality is the investment banker or whatever probably lives five k's from the city in a six million dollar house all power to him not bagging the investment banker great move you've done well you studied hard you got a degree you're a champion the sandwich hand uh, maybe traveling 65 kilometers to get to the sandwich store or they're going to live in a co-living arrangement because it's either that or you live in your barina. And again, this is this is where this has got to, right? For so many people. So many people are now going through what we would refer to in real estate economics as displacement. They're being displaced right and you think about uh you know obviously uh you know you don't sort of see it on tv like a mass thing um and uh, you know all those poor people in the ukraine who were displaced off the back of the the war there i mean you see it right you you see it firsthand but what is occurring and and i don't know about you but i go around my suburb which is a nice suburb to almost see campers like you can see why they would sleep in my neighborhood it's very safe it's very green there's beaches there's public showers for you know if you you know want to wash the salt off you from having a swim at the beach um full of full of people living in their car full of it i've got signs in my street i can take a photo right now do not sleep in this street in your car got like a little um almost like a vw uh camper van looking car and it's got a big red cross um and you know what what it's saying is the haves don't want the have-nots in their neighborhood piss off have-nots we are gospodars here we we uh we love leaf blowing And so um, this is real, guys. Like, this is real. And again, if that shouldn't encourage you to get on with building wealth, then I don't know what will because if you're not, you're just falling behind the eight ball. And, you know, maybe take what I'm saying. I know I probably sound like a bit of a crazy person right now, but take what I'm saying seriously. Like, plan out your wealth. Set your goals. Set those uh, realistic results you can achieve some objectives, you know, refinance your property, start to think about um, how to create a side hustle. All of this is incredibly important because the affordability challenges ain't going anywhere, right? Uh, Which leads us to the seventh uh, part of the committee's recommendation, which is basically first home buyers should be allowed to burn their super into housing. Yes, you've heard it. The recommendation is that first home buyers should be allowed to use their superannuation as leverage to get into the real estate marketplace. So you can see what's going on here, right? They're like, well, you've got to, you've got to increase density. You've got to get more people buying first homes you've got to push up the numbers here and i don't know you know if this policy will be enacted no one knows if these policies will be enacted but fundamentally what you could see is the ability for private sector the public sector to work and just almost gift getting first home buyers into the marketplace so what the recommendation fundamentally is saying is banks should look at a first home buyer's superannuation balance and basically set it up so that they don't need a deposit. The bank lends 100% but takes basically a fixed and floating charge over their superannuation. So if they default on the property, they are defaulting on the superannuation which – Hence, is there equity in the deal? So that's what it's come to because people can't save enough money to buy a property. And uh, the savings rate, though, of recent times being higher than ever um, because of COVID and lockdowns and people putting more money in their back pocket and not going out and spending on holidays and, uh, you know, clothing and so forth. Very short term, very transitory kind of concept. Long term though, the idea of going, well, what do people have? They don't have anything. They've got super though. Let's use their super to get them into a house that will create affordability. Obviously, it's going to be a political football with that one. Like I can't see that one going places, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, you know, the fact that you're putting up your super, your retirement, you're betting your retirement to live somewhere. Um, An interesting concept. Obviously, it would just be proportioned to the LVR. So uh, an interesting one. I don't know. That's the recommendation. I'll let you guys have a ponder on that one. The next recommendation is to leave negative gearing alone. Wow. Wow. What a recommendation. Jeez, how many people have attacked the negative gearing system over the years and all of a sudden this recommendation, this parliamentary review has said, geez, can we just forget about the negative gearing conversation? We've kicked that can down the road for so long. Let's leave it alone. The committee believes there are benefits in the policy of negative gearing. It creates, in their view, lower rents, higher housing supply, diversity of ownership, and efficiency of the tax system, which outweighs the nominal impact it has on the price of real estate. Wow. I don't know. Uh, You know, I I certainly love negative gearing. I love the idea that I get depreciation and cash flow and uh, that for taking the risk, the financial risk of buying real estate, and putting someone in a property to accommodate the crisis of lack of housing, I get rewarded from that. And the fact that the community is saying, well, look, you take the risk, you get the reward. I'm cool with that one. I like that one. I think a lot of people would argue that the uh, mathematical equation of being an investor actually gives you more buying power than a home buyer. And if anything, that mathematical equation means that investors can outbuy a first home buyer. That is the counter argument. And again, I don't think, think most investors. Maliciously going out there to ruin the lives of first home buyers i think most investors are pretty shrewd most investors understand the logic investment you know balancing rental returns versus price um hey that's the counter argument but the recommendation of the committee is to leave negative gearing alone once and for all i think we would all appreciate that because again um you know for many multiple portfolio owners like you know you if you remove that you're going to remove a lot of landlords from the marketplace and again like you know the financial risk needs to be worth it to get into the property market you can't just base a property market on capital growth and that is really some of the policy that has been created like you need cash flow and again if you want affordability then the cash flow needs to be incredibly worth it and yes real estate can provide good rents and of course those tax deductions also increase your cash flow so from a cash flow proposition it has to be worth it and uh, of course negative gearing allows that right The next recommendations, which is really recommendation 9 and 10, is the Parliamentary Committee recommends that stamp duty be replaced with land tax. There you go. Stamp duty needs to be replaced by land tax. And of course, one of the biggest challenges for anyone buying real estate is land tax. Uh, sorry, is stamp duty, right? You've got to come up with a large amount of money to uh, actually even buy a property. You've got to get the deposit, then you probably need some lender's mortgage insurance, then you probably need some stamp duty. And uh, obviously that is a hindrance to velocity of people buying. Um, and a hindr- hindr- if, if there's no velocity of people buying, there's nothing being built, right? And so... The idea is to replace stamp duty with land tax. I have a feeling this one may become a reality. Um, I think there's, for example, a lot of much older Australians in large family homes, which could free up a lot of capital to come into the marketplace. A lot of money could be moving out of real estate stuck in family homes. But, you know, an 80-year-old doesn't want a $150,000 uh, stamp duty bill to, to go from their $4 million property to their $2 million property, right? So um, I think I think potentially you will see this kind of land tax thing unfold. That's just my guesswork. Could be completely wrong. we got to understand the fire economy here. I'm going back to the fire economy. Finance. Uh, insurance and real estate right so state government lives off the fire economy like they get their revenue from excises excises like stamp duty the number one revenue system for state governments is stamp duty is making money off the housing market the fire economy So everyone's in this thing. Everyone's got an investment in it because Australia is run by this concept. We've got to build more houses, sell more houses. We've got to be uh, creating velocity. If we don't create velocity, we make no money. The recommendation kind of said that obviously if you've already paid stamp duty, you shouldn't be lumbered with a land tax bill because you've would be double tax, which is obviously not going to be a popular thing. And obviously they've included that because anyone brave enough to bring that policy into uh, their budget would, you know, get ousted. They, They would lose their job. If you had someone just pay stamp duty on a Monday and then on the Tuesday the rules are changed and they're paying land tax for their assets. But I think what you will see is that um, there will be versions of this unfolding, and there really is already versions of this unfolding. The Queensland budget has recommended that, you know, um, and this I can see how governments getting around creating more uh, land tax, and maybe they'll give up on the stamp duty eventually is the Queensland government's going, well, we want affordable properties in Queensland. A lot of interstate people want to buy in Queensland. Uh, They own two or three properties already in New South Wales or Victoria. Um, And then they come to Queensland and they don't pay land tax because as investors, they've got a land tax free threshold, right? Land tax is a state tax. And one of the challenges for property investors is, well, um, the best way to avoid land tax is to buy diversified assets, buy something in Brisbane, something in Melbourne, something in Sydney. The Queensland government is, is going, well, let's, that, that's unfair. Let's, uh, let's tax interstate investors based on what they already own interstate and amalgamate it with what they own in Queensland. And, you know, I th- believe this policy is going to be a thing so will that deter landlords being landlords in queensland who live in south australia or sydney or or melbourne maybe right maybe um but the government is going down this policy of that uh you know we need to create an affordable system so i would i think this this will become a thing i think um you know, land tax is not fun. But it's again, it comes down to just making sure that you've got the right assets, right? Right cash flow with your properties, things that that are going to get extra rent increases over time, tenants who can afford rent increases, because, you know, there are risks when it comes to buying real estate, insurance risk, tax risk, all of these things. Um, you know, you need to play defensively. And this is why I harp on about this stuff. I've been talking about this stuff. If you've listened to my podcast from the beginning, you would have heard me talk about all of this stuff. And you know what? It's all coming true. It is all coming true. Sustainability in real estate coming true. Minimum uh, standards inside of real estate. I was talking about, you know, uh, governments will introduce mandates for minimum uh, sustainability levels in real estate in Victoria they're doing it you 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 need minimum standards now right i think into the future you'll be selling your real estate based on thermal efficiency it's just the way it's going to be right so recommendation 13 is to leave apra alone to do its job the community basically recommends that the Australian government continue to support the idea of APRA, which, of course, is the Australian Prudential Regulation Authority, basically the police of the banks. It's basically saying if you give the banks too much room, they will lend anyone anything. And then you've got these large amounts of debt happening. And, again, you know, uh, this policy is... is flawed right soon as apra came in and basically meddled with the australian property market in sort of 2017 18 19 the australian property market uh ran out of stock because what they did is said well investors we've got to control your debt um so investors found it harder to borrow money so investors didn't produce real estate for someone to live in and all it has done years later has pushed rents up to the today people are living in their vans they're living in the barina uh because not because they're vagrants but because they are just making a business decision in their life to go i would prefer to sleep in my car than waste 500 dollars a week on a bedroom and i can see why i would probably being a, a younger version of myself do exactly the same thing I would live in a youth hostel to save the money to make myself a better life, to become an investor. And I, I, I take my hat off to these people. I think they're very brave to do what they're doing. I think they are going places. I think the fact that they are sleeping in their car is uh, going to lead them to financial success because they are, they know what, they're going to know what it, it takes to make a buck and how to not waste a buck and it, and we often say that in economics in real estate investment it's not how much you make it's how much you keep and uh, i can see why they're doing it so apra the recommendation is just is is let them control the banks let them be uh, the overlord and again um, i think some of the policy of apra being too stringent stops the production of supply so in one hand you're saying well give me more density then you're saying well uh if we give you more density in return we've got to give you world-class infrastructure everyone sees that swap says okay that's a good swap if i can if i can travel from the central coast of new south wales to sydney in 15 minutes great swap uh money well spent um, but then it's saying is, you know, make sure you don't lend people enough money to actually buy property. Um, and that is where APRA sometimes I think needs to to cool its heels a bit, right? Like you've got like debt, controlling the instrument of debt is, is you know, flawed in my, my view, right? Debt is not the solution to affordable properties. Um, punishing debt just means less properties are created and uh, i believe in new zealand there was a recent reversal of a similar kind of system where the government over there was like well this isn't really working you know punishing debt to lower house prices makes no sense because eventually you get higher house prices because of the constraint of supply of stock coming to marketplace So the next uh, recommendation, if you like, is that monetary policy led by the Reserve Bank should not command the housing marketplace. Basically, the Reserve Bank should not consider the debt levels of Australians and run the the, uh, monetary marketplace in accordance with... What is going on in the marketplace? You know, uh, inflation, put up rates. Um, you know, don't take into consideration the housing market. That's basically what they what this government policy says. And, you know, let's face it, the Reserve Bank of, of Australia has become an asset manager. It's basically uh, promoted the wealth effect. It's promoted, um, you know, let's preserve wealth let's preserve equity um the australian government has been a promoter of the fire economy um and again like i think one of the challenges with the idea of this recommendation is you know that if government or the reserve bank just you know carves it up and and you see interest rates rise by five percent or whatever it is you're going to get an affordability outcome because people won't be able to afford their mortgage but equally this goes in the face of what the other plans are create density um like if if monetary policy is going backwards who's buying the new properties no one so some of these recommendations and this always blows my mind with this kind of i mean i'd love to get into a room and try and help these people solve this stuff because uh this is clear policy which sometimes cannibalizes its other recommendations so in other words um you know let's face it uh i think the reserve bank actually is an asset manager for the Australian property market, um, it's a crazy thing to say, but but fundamentally they are they are they've become an asset manager. They look after the wealth effect. The idea that they now preserve equity over anything is is a real thing, right? It's a real thing, and uh, you know, will they eventually put up interest rates? Probably even by the time this goes to air, maybe there is an interest rate increase. I don't know, but. Um, I certainly don't think they're going to, you know, uh, you know, increase monetary policy to the point where the wealth effect is not a thing. And here is why: no one migrates to a country in a deep recession. That's just not what someone would want to do. Why would you leave your home to go to a place where you cannot get a job? That makes no sense to this whole pillar, this whole scheme which is Australian real estate. Australian real estate works off fundamentals. More homes, uh, more people, more taxes, more GDP. That's the Australian fire economics. And I think, you know, I've done a podcast on population or migration economics. It was one of my first podcasts this year if you want to go check it out. But the next recommendation, which is the 15th recommendation by the committee, is to push population economics. Oh, my God. So now uh, we've got, a re- the, like, again, like, um, if the Reserve Bank doesn't factor in housing and says, well, frick, who cares what people's debt levels are when we uh, make monetary policy? That makes no sense to population economics because, again, if you want population economics, you need to have a prosperous economy to encourage people to want to come and join your population. So some of these things go, uh, you know, round and round in circles in my brain but absolutely the idea of population economics is one of the committee's recommendations Um, basically for state government and federal government and local government to really get on top of when the population is coming so they can kind of steer the ship from a supply point of view and of course um, again a lot of these forecasts when it comes to population don't mirror when the supply comes and we've seen that before inside australia so Interesting uh, way to to maybe sync that a little bit better, so you don't get these imbalances of um, of you know large periods of undersupply and large periods of oversupply. And uh, the final recommendation is that the uh, Australian government should lend a lot of money to. Infrastructure projects, so we're kind of back to this infrastructure story. Affordable housing cannot be delivered without building things, and you know this is this is the challenge, right? So you've got to build the infrastructure, otherwise you've got communities cut off from from jobs. You've got um, Gopnik villages being created. You've got people moving to flood ravaged streets to to live in them because they can't afford anything else. Uh, you've got people moving to areas where climate change is affecting the township. you've got uh, you've got people living in their car, right So you've got to build things and uh, really the final recommendation build the infrastructure that will provide a solution for people to live cost effectively. So there it is guys. There are the rest of, uh, recommendations. there's a lot of pie in that puzzle isn't there population infrastructure and jobs quite often a, a lot of what we talk about in real estate comes back to the pie plan um, hopefully I gave you some insights into what the committee is going through and perhaps my interpretation of that report uh, certainly probably not what an official kind of Uh, would interpretate it. I'd love to give that speech at Parliament, see what they think of that one. Um, Hey, thanks for tuning in to The Urban Property Investor. I will catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to The Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favourite app or on YouTube. I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.